0: Song. I needed something a little uplifting since the uh, last episode. There's just been so much stuff that's going on. We're going to get into that. It's actually what this episode's going to be about. Uh, welcome back for episode two of Table for True. We had a very, very good response to the very first episode with my guest Derek Smith covering some different topics, but we're going to go a completely different direction for this episode. I mean, it's been, I don't know, five, six weeks, since uh, I put out that first episode, and I don't have to tell you how tumultuous the situation our country is in right now. It is dire, and far be it from me to not completely you know, smash down on hot-button issues, and that's what we're going to do is we're going to cover some pretty topical things over the course of this episode, and I'm going to have a guest, and man, I can't tell you how excited I am that he accepted my request uh, to do this episode with me, but his name is Pastor Tyler Burns. He is the pastor at New Dimensions Christian Center here in Pensacola. And, you know, something I would never even mention if it was any other topic than today is that he is African-American. He's deeply rooted in his community. Obviously, he has a lot to say about the current issues and we're going to, you know, I I don't even know if we're going to agree on everything that we discuss. but that's really not the point. The whole point to this is to open a dialogue to where it's, we need to do a little bit more than post something with a hashtag on social media. It's got to be, we got to have some face-to-face discussions about things that are not comfortable to talk about. And we're going to talk about uh, Alton Sterling. Uh, what happened down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We're going to talk about Philando Castile, what happened up in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. We're obviously going to talk about uh, the police shootings that Micah Johnson did at Dallas during the protests. And we're going to really get in depth on both of our takes on the Black Lives Matter movement, what they represent, what their leadership represents, how it began, why it's even a thing, and where it's going. Like, what is the end game? And I completely respect Pastor Tyler Burns. I respect his opinion. I respect his take on all of these things. And I think that he will give a valuable insight um, that I wouldn't have. I mean, he. this is something that is not—yes, it's, it's near and dear to my heart, obviously. It's near and dear to all our hearts. But I just want his take, his opinion on what is going on. And ultimately, what is it as the Christian community? What can we do? in order to get this progressed to a point where there is a solution. Like what, what is it we do as a Christian community outside of bickering on Facebook? I mean, let's be honest. If you have been on Facebook over the course of the last two weeks, you're probably slightly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, the word I would use is disgusted. It is really amazing the things that are coming out of people's mouths instead of any kind of thing that builds unity, it has just been divisiveness and just poison that I have seen out of a lot of people's, well, I'll say mouths, but you know, obviously it's online. So you know what I'm getting at. Very disappointed to see a lot of the replies. And there just has to be something that we can do to move forward. And this really is just a, it's a baby step. It's, it's myself, it's Pastor Burns sitting down and giving both of our takes from our ends of the spectrum and ultimately, you know, hopefully coming to some sort of a conclusion on what it is we can do moving forward from this day to help build relations between the African-American community and the white community, between law enforcement officers and the minorities. It's there's something, there has to be something, because if there is nothing, then this is all fruitless and pointless, and I refuse to believe that. You know, this, man, over the last couple of weeks, there's just been so much, and I know that this is dominating the headlines currently, but there is equally as big a topics, my opinion anyway, uh, going on in this country that just got immediately buried. I mean, obviously, this is the number one story in our country right now. But you had the Hillary Clinton thing and how that all panned out with the FBI probe. And with all of this, it was like a week ago that I couldn't sleep. I, I had a couple days of insomnia. And when I say insomnia, that means I got like one, maybe two hours of sleep for two straight days. And then uh, it was actually the night that the Philando Castile video uh, went viral, the the night, the day that it happened. I was tossing and turning in bed and I saw somebody had shared it on Facebook. And I don't know, My there was like this really big ball of energy and anxiety just spinning like a top in my stomach. I mean, it was just, I don't know, have you ever just had one of those nights or circumstances in your life where you're just so overwhelmed with the things that are going on around you that you're like, man, I don't know what to do, you know? And, you know, I was praying And eventually I got up at about, I don't know, it was like 2.30 in the morning. I went to go try and lay on the couch in the living room, toss and turn for about another 20 minutes. And eventually at 3.14 AM, I hopped in my truck, headed down to a Perdido Key and went east, or excuse me, west, the opposite of east. And I went west and just drove. And I had no idea where I ended up. I drove for about 90 minutes. I stopped. I was, you know, that road that goes through Floribama, it's beachfront road. You know, you got the golf right there on the left. And I stopped and I just got out and I sat on the beach for a couple hours and I was just watching the sunrise. I took a picture of the sunrise and I made a little post on social media. I tend to try, man, I really tend to steer away um, from hot button issues on social media specifically because man, does it bring out everyone and everyone has an opinion as they have their right to, but I don't know. I just, I'm not interested in Facebook debates. Are you like that too? I mean, I don't think anyone has ever, ever changed their opinion about politics, religion, anything based upon things brought up in the comment section of a Facebook status post. If that is you, if you're one of those people that kind of guns for uh, questioning other people's opinions in the Facebook comic section, comment section or... Uh, you're just a troll. I mean, there's a term for it. It's 2016 and troll is is a term that people use. And like the definition of that is you're just trying to irritate somebody for the sake of irritating them. You want to get under their skin or you don't like their opinion and therefore they're wrong because it doesn't match your opinion. If that's you, knock it off. Enough. We have enough divisive things in this country without you telling people that they're wrong. It's ignorance. Please stop it. Thanks. And so, you know, I'm not going to spend too much on this introduction. I don't think it requires anything. I think we want to get to uh, the meat of this, and that is me sitting down with with Tyler and discussing what is happening with our country, what it is we can do as Christians moving forward to get this uh, get relationships better ultimately looking towards Jesus rather than people uh, to fix our issues. But before we get there, I'm going to share a song with you. Uh, Again, this is from NF. I think it's just very fitting. I love the song. It's called, Oh Lord. When
1: I die, put my ashes in the trash bag. I don't care where they go. Don't waste your money on my gravestone. I'm more concerned about my soul. Everybody's gonna die. Don't everybody live though? Sometimes I look up to the sky and wonder, do you see us down here? Oh Lord, oh Lord, do you see us down here? Oh Lord, oh Lord, do you see us down here? Oh Lord, oh Lord. See us down here, yeah. oh Lord Oh Lord Listen yeah, everybody wants change Don't nobody wanna change, though Don't nobody wanna pray Tell they got something to pray for Now everybody's gonna die But don't everybody live, though Sometimes I look up to the sky And wonder, do you see us down here, yeah. oh Lord to blame God but harder to fix things we look in the sky like why ain't you listening watching the news in our living rooms on the big screens and talking about if God's really random where is he you see the same God that we're saying might not even exist becomes real to us but only when we're dying in bed when you're healthy it's like we don't really care for him then leave me alone God I'll You When I need you again, which is funny, everyone who's sleeping abused and blame God for our problems, like he's sleeping on you. We turn our backs on him. What do you expect him to do? It's hard to answer prayers when nobody's praying to you. I look around at this world we walk on. It's a smack in the face. Don't ever tell me there's no God. And if there isn't, then what are we here for? And what are y'all doing down there? I don't know, Lord. Oh Lord. Yeah, oh Can you see you see us down, yeah, oh Lord Oh, Lord. oh, Lord. oh Lord.
0: Welcome back to Table for True. I am your host, Troy Ushoffer, and I'm excited I have my guest here with me. It is Pastor Tyler Burns. He's the associate pastor at New Dimensions Christian Center,
2: and uh, welcome. Thank you. Man, thank you for having me. This is exciting, and it's an honor to be on your podcast, especially so early into its inception. And uh, I see you're doing such great things, so to be here is, a, is an honor.
0: I, I, I really appreciate that. This is, um, this is a hard conversation to have uh, for so many reasons, but you are deeply rooted in the African-American community. You, yes, sir. You, your, your church, is it safe to say your church is... Predominantly black. Predominantly
2: yeah, black. Yeah, it okay. has been. Um, actually, there was a time where our church was split down the middle, half black, half white. Um, so our church is now predominantly black due to, I think, a number of shifting reasons. But um, in in all of those, the gospel has been at the center. Christ has been at the center. But shift in demographics and shifts um, happen many times in churches so but yeah right now we would be predominantly black but have been in the multi-ethnic experience previously as well.
0: Okay and you're you're pretty young you're, you're 28 years old. But <laughs> I, you, check,
2: I feel like I'm getting a little older man. <laughs> you, but you are being
0: looked at people are looking at you at this current time because of what's going on they're kind mm-hmm. of looking at you as a beacon of hope or, or a voice. And, and w- what do you say to that? Why, why do you think people are coming to Tyler Burns during this time?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> you, you have no idea? I, I don't know, man. I think um, I think the only thing I've tried to do is share my perspective from where the gospel sits and where Christ has called us to speak, I speak. Where the Bible speaks, I want to speak very loudly and clearly. Where it doesn't speak, I don't want to add to it, take away from uh, what it has or hasn't said. I believe that there is... There are perceptions related to people um, who would typically have these conversations that I'm trying to um, negate. I'm trying to go against the stereotype or perception of what this conversation looks like. And I think we've already talked about this even before the podcast, which is our media and our culture and our world (laughs) has shaped the context by which things are allowable or unallowable in these conversations, and that's not the gospel ethic, and that's not the gospel way. So as much as, as I can, as much as the Spirit allows me to, I wanna be an agent of reconciliation. In the spirit of reconciliation, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, we have that ministry now, Christ has given that to us. So I don't know, hopefully I can, I can use whatever platform I have, big or small, for the glory of God faithfully, and I'm more concerned about being biblically faithful than being recognized. I think that at the end of the day, the Lord will judge us not based upon the size of our platform, but how well we've stewarded it. That's so.
0: very well said. And I wanna kinda of give you a background of where I come from. Sure. That way when I give my opinions and my viewpoints on things, sure. you can be like, okay, I get that. So I was born in San Diego, California. Uh a military brat, go Chargers, right? Go Chargers! Right? That's Char- oh, buddy. Go Chargers. I saw it on the back of your truck, so I was like, "Oh man!" I got a big magnet on the back of the truck. And uh, so, I was born in San Diego, but I was only there till I was five. My mom married a sailor that was stationed out there. He's mm-hmm. from the Midwest. Yeah. Um, so, when people ask me where I'm from, I claim San Diego because that was my birthplace. Um, but I predominantly grew up in a small town called Winfield, Iowa, hmm. and it is population. Baker's dozen, counting cats and dogs. <laughs> right. My graduating class was roughly forty-eight, hmm. and that, and my school was K through twelve, yeah. all in one building. Okay. From what I can remember, and because I had such a, I was such an immature punk when I was a kid <laughs> and partied a little too much, my memory's a little clouded. <laughs> right, but I believe we had one African American in my school. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't grow up around this. The sure. biggest when I joined the military, that's when I kind of fell into the melting pot. Um, So where I'm coming from is from a place of lack of interaction. Mm. So where where did you grow up? Tell the people where you grew up and kind of what led you to where you're at now. Thank you
2: for sharing even just that part of your story. Um, I think that's great to have a context. And even the humility with which you're delivering that part of your story is encouraging. Uh, I grew up in uh, Pensacola, Florida, native, born and raised here. And my father founded the church Um, New Dimensions Christian Center that I'm serving at right now in 1992. So I've grown up in a pastor's home. That was when I was three years old, we started. So I've grown up seeing my father and my mother serve and labor and toil for the glory of God, for the gospel. Um, But I've also seen them labor and toil in excellence with their past in view. So what I mean by that is they came, my father came from Meridian, Mississippi. And so in Mississippi, there are heavy racial tensions. He didn't necessarily grow up. I didn't necessarily grow up with him talking frequently about that. Um, But it kind of came into play when um, I also went to a Christian school that was uh, K through 12. Here in Pensacola. Yes, in Pensacola. So it was all in the same building, just like what you're talking about. (laughs) Our graduating class was 70, so it's not too far off from you. And I quickly recognized um, I'm very opinionated, and I have been since I was a young man but I quickly recognized the difference of experience that I had and some of my other classmates had. One of the most formative experiences was when my father told me, um, we were actually in a grocery store, we were checking out, and he said, I forgot something, I think I was like 10 or 11, I think, and he said, I forgot this on this aisle, and before he could stop me, I took off running. So I took off running to go get it. I said, oh, I'll get it, and he was you know, trying to flag me down and say, what are you doing? Like, slow down. And so I grabbed it and I ran back and he stopped me and he grabbed me and he said, never run in a store. And I was like, what I just wanted to do, I just want to get what you, you Mm -hmm. said, he said, never run in a store because it might be seen that you're stealing. And I think that was the first time in my life where I had to reckon with this idea of the presumption of guilt, right? Um, I have personally had... Uh, encounters with people who have presumed me to be doing something that I shouldn't have been doing um, just merely based off of description, just merely based off of sight. Got it. And seeing me and I fit the description of a stereotypical whatever that may be. Um, And I'm not mainly pointing that at law enforcement at all. I'm just saying in general people. So I've had to, when I went to Liberty University, um, which is where I went to college. The Lynchburg, one in Virginia? Virginia? Mm-hmm. I yeah, just went to. graduated from there. That's awesome, man. <laughs> right on. Go Flames. Huh? <laughs> you know? um, and so I went to there residentially, and I experienced a lot of different things. It was a very good environment overall, but I experienced a lot of different things that kind of raised my conscious level, consciousness level, to think through the difference of my experience and to think through the difference of my narrative. So... When I approach these conversations now, there are two things I'm trying to keep in view. The first one is, we've already discussed it, is the image of God. The fact that, mainly two questions I wanna ask myself and I ask people. Are the people that I'm talking to or are the people that I'm talking about Am I viewing them as image bearers of God, according to Genesis one twenty six, which says that God created man in his image and in his likeness, that's right. and God gave him dignity, value, and worth in that moment. So am I looking at the people I'm talking to or about, even in my own experience, um, or in the experience of you as a man, am I looking at you through the lens of an image bearer of God? But then number two, from that, if I am doing that, and I believe that's biblical, how do I reframe this conversation? to accommodate and affirm your dignity. How do I reframe the way that I talk about these things? It's very easy for us to talk about issues related to cross-cultural intelligence or um, multiculturalism or what, what have you. Very easy to look at those things through the lens of talking points rather than people and narratives and stories. And I think it was powerful that you shared your story because the sharing of your story and the sharing of my story and seeing where those intersect is really what brings us together and shows us the commonality we have in the image of God.
0: It was it was pretty quickly I contacted you after these events. I believe it was man, I think it was the day after the Flando Castile video yes. posted. Yes. I mean it and the reason I did that is if you look at history, when you have a big story, it's not gonna take long, Tyler, before this is no longer the number one story in the country. Absolutely. Um, this one, may, it may drag on a little longer, but something else is gonna happen. Just, you know, yeah. two weeks ago, we were talking about Hillary that, yeah. you know, we're not no, talking absolutely. about that. Nor. A month ago, we were talking about Orlando. When's the last time you even thought right. about the largest it's mass shooting in the country? It's the curse of the 24 hour news cycle. That's right. Th- that is right. So I wanna touch on, we can go back really far. Sure. At, to the reasons why you and I are sitting here discussing this. But there's three specific events that have occurred in the last week that I kind of want to break down. I want to get your take on it. Um, And we're going to start with what happened in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's what I know. Here's the facts that I know. Sure. I know that an African-American that had permission to sell CDs out in front of a gas station, Alton Sterling. Right. uh, There was an APB put out because somebody had called and said – I may get this twisted, so help me out if I'm wrong. Somebody had said that a man in a red shirt in front of a gas station was wielding a weapon. Right. Okay. So we're we're good so far. Absolutely. So, fast forward to the video. Mm -hmm. There's two of them. So you have the store owner, and you have some pedestrians, I guess, that were in a car. And from what I saw, it kind of break. One of the videos, the earliest it breaks in, is Alton is standing at the hood of a car. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know what he—somewhere noncompliance occurred. Okay. And he was tackled to the ground. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of wrestling between—there was two cops on him. Right. Um, I saw the, the, one of the police officers' head had bounced off the, the hood of the car. And then the police officers yelling at him, uh, don't do it, or something to that effect. And then one of them yelled—one of the officers yelled, gun. Mm -hmm. and then the kind of the video kind of skews off like i don't know if people were i mean if i was there i'd be like it's time to get out of dodge right um but then as it pans away you hear four gunshots yes Mm -hmm. video pans back up you see the officers rolling off they're screaming they they know that what they did how whatever the intentions may be something tragic just happened Yes, very serious and then you see one of the officers rise to his feet he reaches in Mr. Sterling's front right pocket, and he pulls out a weapon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's did – you, did you see both videos first off?
2: Yeah. yeah um,
0: what, where were you at when you, when you saw these, and what was your initial emotion?
2: I was at a Starbucks. Uh, okay. I was working, and I had an assignment that I had to finish for my other job that I worked, and I went to Starbucks, and I just happened to see them on Twitter. The, the first media. video and I remember I just viscerally felt pain and grief. Yeah and I broke down and I could not stop crying in the Starbucks. Um for two reasons. I think number one because I saw an image bearer of God. I saw his life expire. Yeah. Yeah you did. And secondly I the proximity of pain to these videos something that I hope people understand. There is a traumatic reality that has happened in the past three years, in which we have seen frequently black death on camera. That's right. And it's easily accessible at our fingertips. And there is a traumatic response for me, um, watching that we were not built, anybody really, we were not built to constantly see life taken. And regardless of the circumstances and the opinion, there are some traumatic effects from that. Now, personally, and this is not to uh, cast aspersions upon the people who I'm about to talk about because I don't know them, but before I watched the video and after I watched the video, I went to a store both times. And I was wearing gray joggers and a Star Wars shirt. I'm a Star Wars junkie. (laughs) And may the force be with you. But so every time I went into the store, on both occasions, there was a white lady, a different white lady, who I passed by and both of them clutched their purses in a defensive manner when they saw me. Now, that perception
0: of guilt you were talking about and earlier. A,
2: and again, I, I just want to make it very clear because I think sometimes, again, the narrative of our country and our media when it comes to these cross-ethnic discussions can skew what I'm intending to say. I get it. I'm not saying that they are racist. I'm not saying that they are bigoted. They might have had experiences with men where they have been attacked in a a, a parking lot. I'm casting no aspersions upon them. No, I get it. But how it felt to me, I felt like my body and my skin, which I felt before, was a threat. And it exacerbated the grief and the trauma of the moment simply because all I wanted to do was get home to my wife. That's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was be safe. What is, okay, it is
0: 2016. It is. We have a black president. We do. We have a black attorney general. We do. There's black leaders across this country in very high, high positions.
2: Mm -hmm. How in the world are we still having this discussion Mm -hmm. now? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. I think we should ask the question of what led us to this place. And when we ask the question of what led us to this place, we encounter a number of different things that make these conversations very difficult and hard for us to have. And one of the problems is we're great opinionated, uh, we're great opinion givers, but we're, no, we're really novice historians. <laughs> yep, right? So then it. we have 400 years of history that tells us that there are some sort of relations as it comes to the way in which America, which is a beacon of light and hope, which is the American idea of democracy and republic is revolutionary. We have 400 years, four to 500 years of experience that tells us that there are different experiences and narratives in this country when it comes to minority ethnic groups and when it comes to quote unquote, and I'm using these words, I hope these are okay, minority and majority ethnic groups, I just want to be I want people to understand what I'm talking about here. So I the white experience in America and the ethnic experience in America are different in some ways. So ways. W- whether that was intentionally done maliciously by certain groups of people, we know that it was, or whether it was unintentionally and completely out, of some of the founding fathers were against slavery. We know that. Correct. So when we're talking about whether malicious or or unintended, whether direct or indirect, there is something that led to a difference in experience. So when we're talking about from history, from our founding documents, um, which are phenomenal explorations of liberty and justice and freedom, we see the exclusion of people groups in those founding documents, in some of those founding documents. And so we say, how has that affected what we're experiencing now? Mm -hmm. And while I see that there are leaders prominent black leaders both in the White House. What happens on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue does not necessarily translate to Pensacola, Florida because what they have, what they mainly are, are symbols. They are symbols and leaders, they do have power and they do have impact, but they don't directly affect and change perception. So there are good things and bad things. We've made some progress in the past 50 to 60 to 70 years. But even that progress um, will not negate the history that still has to be unraveled and discussed understood. and worked through. Now, that's not to say that we bow to history, but at the same time, history must be considered lest we repeat the mistakes of the past.
0: That, and that's fair, um, something I wanna touch on as well. And, and,
2: and feel free at any point in time to build on that, push back and ask questions and understood. Absolutely. It. I wanna to touch on social media.
0: Yeah. All right. I, I don't know if there is a, a bigger platform that either fuels
2: or I'm... Nobody has time to process emotion anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, what's I, funny is I was just saying that to somebody, is is it is normal for us to process in public on social media. And instant. And that's actually very unhealthy. It's uh, incredibly <laughs> unhealthy. Yeah. Here,
0: here's the problem is, People see something happen, they pick up their smartphone, and they give you instant reaction based upon limited facts, limited knowledge. And I'm looking at people that I thought I knew, and you're seeing this tends to dredge up the bad side of what people typically maybe keep hidden Hmm. or buried. And so, what I'm seeing is social media, for the most part, is forcing people to pick a side. Like, you, like you're on a team. Very you true. have Team Blue Lives Matter, okay? Yeah. And I'm gonna be very careful how I speak no, this. Go I don't mean, okay. Be, so you be, have Blue Lives Matter yeah. and then you have Black Lives Matter. Right. And it's, you, can't, you can't support one and support the other. It's either sure. you're on this team or you're against us. And so as I reverse back into Alton Sterling, there was the video and there was uh, a lot of people upset Justifiably upset about this. And they would get on Twitter and Facebook and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then you have other people who are instantly skeptical. And they will immediately dig up Mr. Sherling's past. Absolutely. Which it is what it is. But you had put some. I, I was looking. I scoured over your social media. Uh, oh. All right, I'm looking all over the place. <laughs> I just I wanted to know. I always
2: tell people, you know, follow me at your own risk. You know, I always tell people. <laughs> and, and if you want to follow
0: Tyler, it's at Burns23 on Twitter. Oh no, I'm gonna get you go. some followers. <laughs> I all right, it. so you put something and yeah, I uh, I retweeted it. It was just something profound, and uh, it got a, a a lot of attention.
2: <laughs> Surprisingly, uh, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, we're like
0: at 600 retweet. Anyway, oh, it man. says. When people try to bring up his past, remind them that Alton Sterling's human dignity was non-contingent upon his moral perfection. That's hmm. profound. Hmm. I don't think a lot of people are thinking in that vein at all. Sure. What I hear is Alton Sterling was a thug. Yeah. I see pictures of him from his past that people want to bring up. Uh, what was some other things that I... Uh, Oh, sheet. unpaid child yeah. support and his rap yeah. sheet or whatever. The point is, is that you you want to know who else has a has a rap sheet? Me. Yeah. I, I've been arrested yeah. a lot. Yeah. So, what does that say? Do yeah. I deserve to be mistreated or mislabeled? Right. So, I kind of want I want you to to build upon mm. a, a, a simple 140 character tweet <laughs> yeah. says
2: so much that not everybody's getting. It's interesting, man, because I've tried to as much as possible monitor from here on out if you go back to how I responded maybe a year and a half ago to how I responded now hopefully I've grown in maturity and grown in love and grown in wisdom and prudence with how I speak on social media but I remember I was actually at my mailbox in my apartment complex and I was um, just sitting and I couldn't move because of all the things that were going on all the emotions that I was feeling and the first thing that came to mind were was that tweet and yeah. so I just tweeted it out, wasn't expecting what came. Yeah. Uh, but I think when we think about the character and nature of God, I was telling our church this on Sunday.
0: Did you, oh, real quick, I'm going to bust uh-huh. in. Yeah, no. This t- Is this something that you immediately thought, I, I, this is going to be my sermon this
2: week? Yeah, no, I wasn't preaching this week. Um, and no. No. Um, personally, if I were in the pulpit, I think I may have, Um, centered on it but I think we have to be careful it really I think it's the compounding of all the week's events required some sort of response has to and required some sort of of Christian reflection Mm. at the very least Um, what pastors choose to do with their sermons and their platforms is I'm very careful about casting aspersions upon that one way or the other smart Um, you have a body and you have to um, apply to your context I hopefully something was mentioned in in most churches and that's what I I hope and pray. But again, if not, that's not for me to decide. I think it'll come up whether or not, um, you know, you mentioned it on Sunday, but I was talking to our church about Psalms. I pray every Sunday and I lead the transition to announcements. So there's a theological instructional element. So I talked about Psalms 103 and Psalms uh, 103 tells us something interesting that God does not deal with us according to our sins. And that do, does not repay us according to our iniquities. I wasn't just talking about this case. Yeah. I was talking about in general. Yeah, The powerful idea that the Bible screams with indirectly and directly that people don't have to act perfectly to be treated with human dignity. That's right. If we look at David and Moses <laughs> and Abraham and, and Elijah Some of the greatest men and women in our scriptures, in the lexicon of the Bible, were moral failures in one way or another. And that's intentional so that we would not worship and look to them as saviors, but that we would look to the only sinless one who is Jesus Christ. So when I see someone, does his past matter to the people who are involved in it? Absolutely. We see those facts and elements of his past as open and shut ideas. We didn't see the individual cases, we didn't see the specifics, we don't see the people's faces, we don't see the presumption of guilt or innocence either way. So it's very difficult when I hear people bring that stuff up to say, well I don't really know that that has necessarily direct bearing on what happened, um, but I think we should be careful about making judgments on someone's dignity based upon what they've done in their past. As Brian Stevenson says so well, and I'll probably reference him a couple of more times, he says, we are more than the worst thing we've ever done. (laughs) That's good. Oh, I like that. And the scripture verifies that we are more. Yes, David, you fell in adultery and committed murder. And Nathan, the prophet, stands up and says, you are that man who I'm referring to. But God still calls him a man after my own heart. Not without consequence, but still, he is more than the worst thing he's ever done.
0: And that really seems to be uh, one thing that seems to always come out almost immediately is those that want to uh, maybe it's just hope or they can't believe that um, something like that could happen with police officers. Is sure. they immediately characterize the person? Sure. Let's Trayvon Martin.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So Trayvon was a kid. Mm. Hmm. Um, and people that felt what was the guy's name? George Zimmerman. George Zimmerman. So those that felt that George Zimmerman was justified, mm-hmm. immediately started going on social media, digging up pictures of him in a hoodie. And I mean, it's it's ridiculous what they do. Sandra Bland, Eric yeah. Garner, and I, I have a list. I'm, I'm sitting in front of me. Um, it's a very, very, very unfortunate long list. It it is. It, it is. And, and, and some of these I-, I didn't even know about. You know, so studying up to. Sit down for this episode, I probably quadrupled my knowledge, if not more, that's probably lowballing it. Um, that's encouraging. There is, there is a lot that has happened, and maybe because we were talking about the 24 hour news cycle, well maybe some of these names got a hashtag for about five minutes, and it, I kind of yeah. missed it. But ultimately these are all they're people. They these are. are sons, these are daughters, and moms. It doesn't matter. So you had talked about your response to these actions, has uh, for, you become more mature? Is that a safe way hope, or just man. different? I,
2: I hope, I think I've recognized some of the ways in which the previous way I've, I've approached things. Facebook has this time hop feature now to where we can <laughs> see what happened on this day. Oh man, it reminds which, you how stupid you used to be. reminds you of how foolish your opinions were. Yeah. And I think I've looked back and I've seen, man, maybe this wasn't the best approach. Maybe this wasn't the best way of saying it. But I think about Tamir Rice, and I think about John mm. Crawford, and I think about Eric Garner, um, and Sandra Bland, and Trayvon Martin, and I think about uh, Laquan McDonald, and Amadou Diaw, and Sean Bell. And all those have context, so I don't want to cast aspersions. I think I want to make something very clear. I know we're probably going to get into this, but I have law enforcement in my family. Kay. So my uncle suits up every day. Yeah. And I care profoundly about my uncle's well-being and safety. And I want him to get home. Um, to my aunt safely and I want him to get home to my cousins safely Um, so I want to make it very clear we've had some very open discussions about these things my uncle has come in to our church on multiple occasions and taught forums on how to deal with law enforcement with respect but also knowing your rights to young people young men so I don't want to cast any aspersions or let there be an assumption that for some reason I have some vendetta against law enforcement. I do not in any way, shape or form. I get it. I just want to say that, you know, verbally, because I think sometimes again, the media skews our our vision, and our picture, but these names are image bearers of God Mm -hmm. that has stories and seeing their lives. Some of them on camera, their lives expire has profoundly affected many people. And this is the important thing, when we're talking about sides and we're talking about the quick instant reaction of social media. No no incident happens without context. That's right. No situation happens in a vacuum. So there are contexts and there are perspectives that people are naturally bringing in. And I know we're gonna talk about a little bit of why those contexts and perspectives may be different. But these perspectives must be considered and I think that's all I'll say there because I know we talk about more stuff, but I'll get into that. Why are the different perspectives present immediately following a case yes. like this or immediately following a video?
0: That's good. That's good. I want why uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit because sure. I want to touch on, on three specific um, incidents. And so sure. we had the Alton Sterling mm-hmm. incident. It wasn't, 24 hours later i believe i think it was less than 24 hours later it was was. so it just so happened that it was a night there is so much going on in the world there's a lot of change coming up in my life i'm transferring yeah so i'm going to colorado i'm going to be attached with the marines um and i'm i know you're excited i'm dealing with that and i am excited um but i'm having some inner inner turmoil so my time here in Pensacola has been the refiner's fire. And if you know what I'm saying, then you know what I'm saying. Sure. I, it has been blazing hot and heavy for six years. And at the end of this refiner's fire, oh, Lord, help me. Let this be the end of this refiner's fire. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I went to Bible college. Yeah. I graduated. I got ordained here at Liberty back in yeah. March. Um, Congratulations, it, it, by it, the way. It, and I, I personally, and through prayer life and with talking with mentors and spiritual fathers and stuff, I really thought that my life was leading me out of the military. Hmm. Um, I wanted to do full-time ministry. That's the way everything had opened. Doors were opening like, whoom, wide. And so back in September, I had 13 blood clots in my lungs, nearly died. I was was hospitalized. Uh, And so if you're in the military and you have something like that occur, you go through what's called a medical board. And they'll deem you whether to, to continue military service or not. And so, and I mean everyone from my primary care doctor to the specialist straight up told me, that you're on blood thinners for wow. the rest of your life. Wow. There's no way they're keeping you. So I planned, I was getting ready to leave hmm. uh, the military. And then February, the results of the board came back from D.C., fit for full duty, take them off the blood thinners. We're betting that this was only a one time occurrence. Wow. And my world just went, boom. And so when that result came back, I'm in my window. So when you're nine months out of your orders ending, you get to start negotiating for orders. I bring all that up to say that all of this is coming to a head. I'm leaving in September. I have to go to field med school in North Carolina for two months. I'm leaving my family here, Hmm. um, which is something that has become routine. Over the course of my military career, is, you know, I hate leaving my family behind. I, I feel guilty if I leave for two days. Yeah. You know, I did a 15 month tour in Afghanistan. I did wow. an eight month tour in Kuwait. So I already know it, I missed a lot. Absolutely. So anyway, so I'm laying in bed that night, the night after the Alton Sterling, and I'm just tossing and turning. I had two nights of uh, real poor sleep, maybe an hour or two. Same. And I'm just thinking about everything, the 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 indictment on. Uh, on Hillary Clinton had come out that day. Sure. And you have to know that it, this is important to everybody, but when I'm looking through it, looking at it through the lens of my next commander in chief. Right. Yeah. I tend a, to take a it personal. Oh, tone. it's, it's yeah. immediate. It's direct impact. Hmm. And so I, uh, I was laying in bed, tossing, turning, and it was about midnight and I just grabbed my phone and I was already wide awake. And that's the first thing I saw. Somebody had shared wow. it. So I opened up and let, and so let's mm. let's talk about this. Mm. So there's this f- Facebook, I mean, when we say instant reaction, we had been talking about people getting on and typing their emotions into their status or their tweets or whatever. This was literally live. Yeah. You watch this in real time. Yeah. So for those, I mean, I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast hasn't at least heard about the video. So I'm, I'm going to give some points into it so it breaks mm-hmm. in uh diamond reynolds i think it was her name lavish reynolds right. okay so she's in a car with her boyfriend uh philando castile and it pops in and medi- and, and his daughter as well. and that's right yeah. their, their four-year-old was yeah. it there? i believe so daughter yeah, okay i believe so so and mind you there's a four-year-old in the back seat as well which man we'll get into that yeah. because that is definitely a talking point but it breaks in and it's just a it's the point the camera is pointed at her face and she's talking very calm very calm cool and collected and when you watch all this when i look back that's not that the whole thing wasn't shocking but that in and of itself was like what kind of world do we live in where you can record the death of a loved one
2: and you are yeah chill and so it breaks in she's talking i, I think it hadn't hit her yet i think she was in shock and what would possess somebody to say and I'm glad that she did yeah
0: but I'm thinking put yourself in her shoes your spouse your loved one is in the seat next to you no. they get shot is the first thing that pops in your head is to grab your phone
2: and hit Facebook live I think there's um man I think that's a good question and first of all thank you for sharing that backstory of, of kind of where you're at yes yeah. I just always appreciate when someone shares part of their story I think there has been, the power of social media has said, let us document these things mm. because our word in any way, shape, or form may not match up and may not be as powerful as visualizing it. That visualizing it might... And it was powerful. ...might change someone's opinion. And I think she was in shock, and I think she was trying to stay calm for the daughter. And I think there, were, there was a there were a cocktail of emotions that was going on that I don't know if she was calm as much as she was acting almost detached from emotion in that moment because it's almost surreal to think that yeah. someone who is so close to you would be dying next to you. Right?
0: In this video, it's nine minutes and 23 seconds long. I've yeah. watched it, not to exaggerate, let's say 20 times. Hmm. You know, I've spent some time on this. And you watch her go and
2: watch the whole video. Just you watch her go through
0: the roller coaster. Uh, You you see her very calm, cool and collected. And then you see her in the back of the cop car and she'll have this little spurt of just losing it. And she'll uh, manically cry and scream. And then it's and then during one of those was my soul shook when she was sitting in the back of that car and she lost it for just. I mean, there's about a 22nd little mental blip on her radar. And her daughter, and mm. you don't see her daughter, you just hear this four-year-old girl say, don't worry, mommy, I'm here with you. And, mm. oh, it's, its I mean, just even talking about it now. It's, it will move you. Broke and my heart, man. So you, you saw this, and kind of like the Alton Sterling video, where were you, what was your initial
2: reaction and emotion? Um, I was at home, and we had just left church, and I led a communion service at our church, and we prayed for our nation. We prayed for um, all the people involved in the situation in Baton Rouge, which was the only situation at the time. We talked about the healing and redemptive power of the cross. We talked about the resurrection, and we prayed for one another. We prayed for people we didn't know. This all happened before. All happened before, okay. and I was emotionally drained, and I was almost distant throughout the entire time, just simply because of how exhausted I was. Didn't really sleep at all the previous night, <laughs> which mm-hmm. was a constant refrain of that week. And man, I was at home eating, and my wife just put on the video, and she was just watching it. So you and didn't? Eat- I didn't even know what was going on, and we were just on the couch, and she was just watching the video, and I heard the sound, and. Uh, I f- I didn't know what it was. And I just remember thinking I can't watch. I told her I said I can't watch this. I I can't watch this. And the compounding trauma of seeing of seeing that. Yep. It was too much for me. And I remember I saw the beginning and I heard the end where the the daughter says I I'm here. Yeah. And I was done. I didn't sleep that night either. Yeah psychologically I don't know how many of these videos I don't know if I'll ever watch one of these videos again Um, I have randomly at points just started crying again not because I feel like these people I, I don't know these people I don't know the officers intent but there's a profound sense of fear if I'm being honest with you that is easy to to rush over someone when you see that and a profound sense of grief and trauma. Yes. And this one compounded with Alton Sterling. I think the Philando Castell actually affected me more, uh, even more than Alton Sterling did. Both of them deeply affected me, but the compounding nature of both of them at the same time and processing them, I was undone in many ways. And it led me to my knees. Um, I just had to open my Bible and read the Psalms and pray and cry and did not sleep. I don't really know how to describe how I've, I've been feeling over the past week and a half. But I will say that I don't know if I'll ever be the same.
0: I, I totally get it. And it, the Philando, you said it effect, could have it maybe affected you more. And, and I understand that. And when talking to my children about this, yeah. this is not uh, – just because I'm a, a white man with a white family doesn't mean – Absolutely. I mean, it is affecting my kids on, on a very big lo- – they're very in tuned to what is going on. Absolutely. I forced them to be. Put down the Pokemon Go, and let's, yeah. let's talk about some current events. Absolutely. And I remember three nights ago, my son, my youngest son, came – he didn't come in the room. I take that back. It was a text message that popped at about 1.30 in the morning. And, and that's a whole other thing. If you're in the same house, don't text me. <laughs> I can't stand <laughs> that. I can't stand it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I'm it was 1.30 in the morning, so I'm kind of grateful for that. So I didn't see it until I woke up. But my son was freaking out. And you could wow. tell because he used caps lock uh, on the text message. He's like, Dad, I don't know what to do there's people rioting at Carmike cinemas. Uh-huh. And so I don't know if you saw the story. After everything, it kind of got filtered. Um, there was a group of African-Americans at the W Street Carmike that was kind of, they, they didn't do anything, but
2: yeah.
0: people were instantly putting it on social media. Oh, it yeah. shots fired, yeah. <laughs> white people are getting beat up. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. so it, it was
2: effective. If you've it. ever been to the movie theater, either movie theater on Friday <laughs> night or Saturday night, you know that there is a troop of young people yep. that will always come out. Um, I've had both positive and negative encounters with them. Mm-hmm. I've had times where our movie was stopped because they were making too much noise and they had really? been escorted out here in Pensac at the Carmike. At the Carmike, <laughs> and I've also had I've also had seen times where I've had really good discussions with them. I've met some of them. Um, there is a lot of that that constantly goes on, but I think the perception was a few of them created a stir. And created a a pretty bad incident or at least created the perception of a bad perception good word and that led to a number of different rumors which I saw as well of shots fired and tasers and all these other things which um, which is unfortunate again the social media but there's clearly a very and I think this is what you're getting at is there's very a very tense it is perception of events between the cultures, and between the ethnicities. And it's very difficult for us to process how to move forward in constructive ways because I think these situations, they provoke something in us, and I've talked about it, kind of this four-way stop of emotions. They provoke grief and trauma in us as African-Americans, but they also promote fear and then anger as well. Yes. So there is a natural attachment to anger and how people use that, which again we saw Later on in the week, tragically, how people use that can affect our perception. It can change lives, alter lives, alter families and generations uh, for, for the worse. But it can also affect how we process these conversations in public as well. That's right. And we, I had brought up before about social media. It f- makes
0: you feel like you need to pick a side uh, on these issues.
2: And to be clear, there are no sides. That's right. You know,
0: I think... People were trying to, listen, the Philando Castile, the, the, there's a big difference between that incident and the Alton Sterling incident. Uh, there's lots of differences, but one of the main differences is there's no pictures of Philando Castile as a thug, at least that I could find. Uh, you know, there, yes, he had
2: traffic violations, which is a whole nother conversation in and of Come itself, on. right? It, you <laughs> know, 50, who, 52 traffic stops. You're like, man, I mean, you're, you're either a really bad driver, you're unlucky or, you know,
0: and and that, and that it, there was no way that the mainstream media who loves to just amplify sure. whatever side they're trying to perpetrate. There was nothing, there's nothing there. He worked at an elementary school, Yeah. uh, the 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 parents seem to have loved him. Right, they came right. out in droves. So unless I missed something drastically yeah. in my research, there isn't a lot in his past that people can bring up and say, see?
2: Yeah, and I think I think the sad part about that was to see, and I even saw this yesterday, was kind of to see the attempt to do that. Yes. Makes me say, I mean, let's take a step back here. There really are no sides. I don't know. The police officer's involved, and I'm not trying to bury them. I'm not. You know, again, I hope that that—
0: I want to make a point real quick before you move on. Because if you didn't know any better, you would think this isn't just a law enforcement against minority situation. You would think this is a black versus white situation. Right. That officer, his name is Geronimo Yanez. Mm -hmm. he's He's not white. Yeah. So, okay, anyway. No, I just, that's I, huge. I don't yeah. think
2: anybody, well, nobody's talking about that. Well, I think and another element is if you talk, and, and there's this perception that, you know, protest groups, you know, <laughs> will, will say things. There's this perception that protest groups are only protesting one type of interaction, which is white police officer and black assailant. That's right. And I think that... Number one, that's not really true, because if we look at the Freddie Gray incident in, in Baltimore, the Freddie Gray incident was the majority of police officers involved, if I'm not mistaken, or at least half to, to the majority were black officers. That's right. There, it's really not. I think it's more of a a police accountability idea than a black versus white idea, but it actually, the the media and the context forces us to think about these things in that way and forces us to say, well, do you think that this person was racist and try to interpret their motives in their heart. And I think that's very dangerous. I think we have to take a look at what the true idea and what the true conversation is, which is why I think it's so important to reframe these conversations to affirm and accommodate people's dignity to say what are people actually saying and to assume the best interests. So when I, when I run into a police officer, am I assuming the worst about him just because I see a uniform? It very, if, if we are to make progress, I must assume the best about him to the extent that I am willing to, to go overboard and assume that he is not attacking me personally. Yeah. Now to the point that if that were to happen, then I have no other choice to say this is what happened. But I want to assume that there is as much as possible. We tend to assume the worst about other people, that's especially right. people who disagree with us ideologically. <laughs> so how do we assume the best? And I think that's, that's really shapes and molds the context of these conversations to say how do I look at my brother again as the image bearer of God, and my brother and my sister as image bearers of God, but also how do I not perceive... Even in protest groups, oh, well, they just want to riot, they just want to loot, they just want to kill cops, they just want to do this or that. How do we perceive these things? And and we'll get into that. But, but I think that's a hinge that determines how well this conversation progresses forward. And especially for the Christian, if you have the ministry of reconciliation, if you are not assuming the best about other people, we must check ourselves as believers, mm-hmm. because has the media and has the culture influenced us to believe negative things about other people to fit a ideological point or to fit a political point? Or are we looking at someone with the humanity that Christ did and says, even where they may have fallen, grace and mercy sh- should be extended to them in always as much as it has been extended to me.
0: I want to go to mainstream media. Yeah, let's do it. Boy, I... I do not get my news from CNN. <laughs> sure. I, wanna, I need to make this profoundly clear. Okay. <laughs> CNN, yeah. MSNBC, and Fox News. One is super right, sure. one is super left, but they are two wings on the same bird and yeah. I don't even get near that bird. I cannot stand the bias that comes out of those news sure. organizations. For instance, Dallas, mm-hmm. yeah. the protest that happened in Dallas. Yeah. It was peaceful. Yeah. You had Black Lives Matter. You had cops taking pictures together. I yeah. saw them. I saw them before the shooting even occurred. Yeah. All right. So that destroys the narrative that all black people hate cops and all cops sure. are aiming at
2: black. It yeah. it, it just completely and even that, that Black Lives Matter protesters were all black. Right. You know, which no, is no, I get that. And you know what I'm saying. And and I think the Dallas PD. I just want to say this, Dallas PD. What makes it. Profoundly sad that this tragedy happened in Dallas was that there was such a great relationship between Dallas PD and protesters. They reach out. There is, and, and if you see Dallas, the police department there didn't wear riot gear, they didn't wear, they didn't bring out <laughs> tanks, they didn't wear helmets. There was not this escalation force, but they were walking with.
0: You did see makes, that in Baton Rouge, though. Absolutely. Okay.
2: Which makes it very. Sad and tragic, even all the more that someone with evil intentions would enact his version of vengeance and vigilanteism against people who had the one of the best relationships I've seen with protest groups. It's just unthinkably tragic that lives were lost in that way.
0: one thing that i it got me so fired up. I didn't even know how to process this. When the mainstream media released the name of the sure. shooter, sure, for them to even call him Micah X, no, listen, nobody calls yeah. me <laughs> Troy J, which is my middle name is James. No one. So when
2: I heard Micah X, yeah,
0: what do you just default to?
2: Well, yeah, so... And and I want to be clear, like, I think that there are forces involved Mm. (laughs) that want to portray narratives that may or may not exist. And I just want to be 100% clear that, and we talked about it even privately, just this whole idea of support for Micah Johnson right this whole idea that there were people who supported that that concept that's right and and whether there's always nuts and loons who would support people like Dylan Roof or support people like Micah Johnson yeah um there's always those types of people but I think it hurt I think what made it flag for me on that because I'm
0: the one who brought that up to you sure yeah um and I'm, was, I'm glad we're talking it's about it. It's a simple search nowadays. Everything is categorized by hashtags. Yeah. You type in hashtag Black Lives Matter as yeah. soon as that information was released. And you have...
2: Not, I'm not going to say... I'm trying to think of... What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, because I, I don't want to overstate I think, there is, I think there are... But people were definitely backing him. And here's the here's the sad part about it. It's a very small fringe of people. But historically... The media has to be very careful about recreating people as martyrs and recreating people as freedom fighters, because for some people, they will not be able to draw the distinction between those two ideas that this person was had evil, frankly, terroristic aims and goals. And this person is, you know, historically a Nat Turner type of person, you know, and I think that. the the unfortunate nature was when they portrayed him in that way initially, it's clear to it's it's very important to to reference that Micah Johnson was unaffiliated with any of these groups. He did say that. And the reason that he was unaffiliated with any of these groups is because some of these groups did a background check of him prior to he wanted to get in these groups years ago. And immediately when he got out of the military and they did background checks and flagged him and blacklisted him, for yeah. lack of a better word, from any of these black groups, nationalist groups. So they blacklisted they blacklisted him because of what they found in his past. And he would still show up and try to be around. But they're like, man, we're not touching you. And as soon as one organization did it, all the organizations followed suit and said, we're not touching this guy. Because there, was, there were problems that they saw with his approach and ideology. And it's just tragic, man. I think... No group is characterized by a fringe member. Like, no police force or group of people is characterized by its worst member and or yes. its worst fringe person. That's a great point. But we can't act as though the media is not trying to portray narrative and trying to push conversations in ways. Even this whole idea that we're at war dangerous language, right? Now, Very we can dang- talk. Do you we see th- the cover of the New York Post?
0: Civil war.
2: Absolutely irresponsible. And again, here's the thing. If you're getting your your news from any of these mainstream sources and you're forming opinions based upon what these mainstream sources say, you are setting yourself up, number one, to view people not as the image of God. You're setting them up. uh, You're setting yourself up to view people as talking points and things. But then secondly, you are setting yourself up to fall into and to trip into narrative binaries that don't exist. These are things that there are no sides. And while we may say, hey, there should be accountability on this side, or there should be this idea of responsibility on another side, that's opinions that don't have to be fallen into a war-based narrative or a confrontation, conflict-based narrative. This is a humanity narrative. We want to affirm the image of God in people, whether they wear a badge or or they don't, whether they're a protester or whether they're a police officer. Affirm the image of God in them. Yes, we may have different opinions. Yes, we may have different ideologies, but we have to take a step back from the media narrative Mm. and say, how many of those people that I'm talking about do I know personally? And we'll get into that when we talk about solutions, but how many people that I'm portraying in this way have I sat down and talked to That's and right. Listen to and really felt their heart. The That's concern. why we're here. That's exactly. why we're sitting at this table
0: this morning. Exactly. I'm going to take, I'm going to go off the beaten path for just a second because I want to touch on something. Three times I've re-enlisted to continue my contract in the military. Yeah. I, I am a bo- huge believer in the Constitution. Absolutely. So I want to touch on how The Dallas shooting ended, and I just want to get your take, and then we'll come back on topic. Micah Johnson was pigeonholed into a parking (laughs) garage. Right. If I'm right, I think it was a parking garage.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, It's kind of a moot point at this juncture. And unless something has happened that I don't know of, this is the very first time that our law enforcement used – it was a mechanized execution. Yeah. Micah Johnson, guilty, okay? Absolutely, 100%. I am not sympathizing with him in the least. I know what you're saying. But my Constitution tells me how these things are handled, okay? And so, mind you, I wasn't there. I don't know if he was an imminent threat. But when I hear that a robot went into a building with an explosive and was the judge, jury, and executioner, I'm gonna say it one more time, just so people don't get it twisted. Guilty.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. That makes me nervous. I don't know about you. <laughs> I just I wanted to. I, I, I know this is kind of off the path, I, but man, say, it disturbed me. I'll say this, man. I, I think there's two things that I'm nervous about. The president. I'm very nervous about that. Reminds me of a drone strike. It, it does. It, yeah, that's a, that's exactly what it reminds me of. But then I think second of second of all, I always want people to be captured. So that I can get a greater context of what's going on. And I want them to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But I almost wanted to see and hear an explanation. There it is. For what happened and why you did this. Now, I know that's no comfort to the families involved, and that's the families right. involved are probably feeling intense pain. But I'm very nervous about um, executions. <laughs> I'm very nervous about that, especially without the benefit of of judge and jury to discuss implications and backstory and ramifications of why this happened, what led you to this. And I think that might've given us even a better sense of what radicalized him in a particular way, what specific event caused you to do this. And again, no, no defense of of Micah Johnson in any way, shape or form. No way. But it is very, um, it was just disturbing. It was definitely disturbing.
0: I agree. And I, I'm glad. And thank you for giving me your, of your opinion on that. I, this is mainstream split. media. I'm going to go back to that real quick. The irresponsibility, mm-hmm. and I'm going to. So we have the Micah X thing, be using the name Micah X, civil war on the front page. Sure. But this is the one that was just I, I couldn't believe it. So initial reports out of Dallas. Sh- This dude, this guy's life is wrecked. Mark Hughes, yeah. There you go. Okay, Mark Hughes. If you do not know what we're talking about, almost immediately, even before uh, the incident had ended, ABC News, all these mainstream affiliates tweeted out and put on their social media and on television a picture of an African-American man wearing a green camo shirt. With, with an AR.
2: A, with an Yeah, I think it was an AR. It, I think so. There was
0: an assault rifle right. on his back. Listen, Dallas is open carry. Yep. So what he was doing was legal, yep. upheld by the Constitution. Not necessarily Com- smart, but. Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. So he, he sent this picture out and said, this is our suspect. Man. Here's the problem that I have with this. That's fine. If, he, if, if you thought he was a suspect initially, sure. fine. That did not get taken down for over a day
2: what what do you have last time I checked it's still up you're kidding me I'm serious I think I'm pretty sure that's still up and somebody can fact check me on that but it was up for days afterward um man it's just dangerous I'm thankful I'm I'm just very thankful that people were thorough with their videos and with their pictures you can touch on that too because there is a video of
0: him he immediately walked himself up to some officers during the shooting
2: yeah and handed, handed over. over his his big brother um, saved his life because he said, man, give they your weapon over, give your weapon over immediately. And I was actually talking to one of my friends um, locally. His name is Aaron James. He's a pastor locally and he's a former Marine. Yeah. And uh, we were just walking through the whole situation. And and I remember sending that video to him. I'm like. I just tweeted. I just retweeted it because they said everyone retweet this and we're following the stream on Twitter. So I'm saying, man, no, let me, I have friends in Dallas and I, I, you know, I hate to inspire panic in them or anything there, I had friends who were literally two blocks away from the situation. Yeah. So, but I'm saying, Hey, I want you to be safe. So let me retweet this out to you. Let me text this to you. And then almost immediately I see this video of him just walking around during the shooting, trying <laughs> to direct people yeah. like asking cops. Saying, and I'm like, Man, this is so dangerous. And so, again, the media, and and the media gets a lot of these things wrong. It's really hard to follow breaking news. But I think it is personally irresponsible not to take that down. Someone's life can be altered and has been altered in many ways. But he came out. So he ended up getting apprehended. Well, he actually turned himself in. And they took him in. And they took him in. And very thankfully, um, it was nonviolent. And uh, I know that tensions were high for those officers. He is incredibly those unhappy about the
0: entire incident, he which is. for multiple reasons. But when he came out and gave his side of yeah. what happened in that police headquarters, where they the police were telling him we have video of you and yeah. this, that, and the other. I mean,
2: again, I'm, I couldn't not, I'm imagine. not. I'm not casting any aspersions on what happened, but I think that that it is very disturbing and telling that the media would have the power to ruin someone's life in, in minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and he had he, said he's
2: gotten death threats and all yeah. kinds of nonsense. I mean, people were, man, he said people were surrounding him at certain places, and there could have been some, some heavy problems if his brother did not see that picture, and if the family, his family had not contacted his big brother and his big brother didn't run up to the nearest camera and say, This is my little brother. (laughs) It's not even loaded. He's not on anything. He's not a shooter. He's not. um, So I'm thankful for that. But there is a problem with the way our media portrays things, for sure. Are you familiar with Piedmont Park?
0: Yes. Are you familiar with the incident in Piedmont Park during this same time frame?
2: I'm familiar with the general gist, which is that they found a black man hanging in Piedmont Park. Which, um,
0: if you don't know, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's in Is that Midtown. right? Yes, yeah, okay. in
2: Midtown of Atlanta. There you go. I actually work a separate job. Um, I'm bivocational, so I'm a communications director um, for a, a marketing firm. Okay. And it's based in Atlanta, so I do all their content writing and things of that nature. So I, I frequently have been in Piedmont and, and Midtown, so I know what that looks like, and I can't imagine. Um, I tried to stay away from the story as much as possible, honestly, because I couldn't take anything else. Yep. Um, it did. It happened right in the heart of when everything else was happening. Between Philando and Dallas, that happened. But I've heard about it, and I, I, I don't know what, what happened. I don't know the particulars of the case. But it definitely raises some questions,
0: I'm sure, for That's a lot right. of people. And I'm not gonna, we're, we're not going to move on with that. Um, I just want to bring it up because the whole point of this podcast is to get – the conversation going on different things and get and get you thinking and doing your own research. Yeah, so this is really encouraging. If man. you would like to know more, uh, I would I suggest just going on Google Piedmont P I E D M O N T Park in Atlanta. There was an incident a few days back. And I have
2: absolutely no idea what happened or that I'm I'm totally unfamiliar. So I just want to say that I'm totally unfamiliar yeah. with like what that what it looks. like. It was like very
0: buried in the it national. Was.
2: It was definitely uh, uncomfortable though.
0: Definitely, definitely uncomfortable. Third talking point, and this is the one that I personally um, wanted to hear your take on this. I have very strong opinions about this, um, but Black Lives Matter movement. Okay. All right. So the Black Lives Matter movement, and I'm going to let you expound on this. It was founded in 2013 by Alicia Garza during the Trayvon Martin case.
2: Alicia, and I think it was two other ladies. I can't remember their name. I actually
0: had it typed on here, and then I don't know what happened. But it is
2: Alicia Garza was the person who kind of spearheaded the thing. She's kind of been the spokesperson for the organization. Is she still
0: the spokesperson?
2: Well, Black Lives Matter is heavily decentralized as as an organization. So she's the spokesperson for the organization, and then there's other people who are part of the hashtag movement. And so they're kind of part and parcel of the same, but there's a lot of diversity within of opinion within that. Super big umbrella. So there's, there's atheists and there's extremists. And then there's, you know, I'm not saying all atheists are extremists, but there are atheists and Christians and um, Nation of Islam and yeah. Pan-Africanists and Egyptologists and people who are unaffiliated with any of that. So a lot of the, the prominent names now are on Twitter, so you have the DeRay McKessons and the Janetta Elsie's and um, loosely at the beginning, Sean King and other people who are connected to the, this umbrella of what we call the Black Lives Matter movement, which Alicia Garza actually talked about this recently. It is very difficult to categorize anything as Black Lives Matter because the media has kind of put an umbrella <laughs> over that to say anything that is protesting is Black Lives Matter influence that's not necessarily the case. I hope not. Um, it's definitely not necessarily the case. And it's heavily decentralized within particular areas, which we can get into. But yeah. ask your question. I'm curious to see, to hear what you think about that. and then So uh,
0: I am looking at it through a very small straw. Sure. All right. I'm not involved in it. I'm not mm-hmm. out protesting. You don't see a lot of it here in Pensacola. So I get what everybody else gets. I may dig a little deeper. I may do a little bit more YouTube searches and sure. I may watch some more interviews. Um, but I, 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 would, I, am, I would definitely say that I, I've done significant research and whether, whether that m- mounts to anything, I don't know. But here's my take on this. Okay. I think that the Black Lives Matter movement initially um, was something very, very needed. Sure. And it served a great purpose. I think it's been hijacked okay. by extremists. Okay. And the reason I think that it could be skewed because what you're seeing, the people that are the loudest Uh typically tend to be the most extreme. Okay. Um, You look up a number of different marches that have occurred. You go to uh, New York City in December of 2015. You go to Portland three days ago. You hear chants like, what do we want dead cops? When Mm. do we want them now? And I'm like, what? What is this? What are you tra- So what do you, what is the end game? There there's always problem reaction solution. So what is the
2: solution that BLM is in trying yeah. to get to? Okay, so let me ask let me reframe this discussion by asking this question. Okay. So again, I'm trying to reframe to accommodate but also affirm someone's dignity. Yeah. Let me ask this question. And this is kind of rhetorical because we can talk and think through it. Historically, how has America treated people who have advocated boldly for black dignity? I think we should think through that. Okay. So the initial perception of what Black Lives Matter is or isn't is driven a lot by America's historical treatment of people who are subversive for minority ethnic rights. Okay. So let me explain that. Dr. King. Popular figure, yep. seen as the paragon of all things civil rights, the paragon of all things ethnic equality. Um, Frederick Douglass, one of the greatest Americans ever produced. Harriet Tubman, um, going to be on our $20 bill soon. All three of those people were perceived either directly or indirectly as criminal adjutants. Now, what agitators? And what we know about them is that they were some of the greatest examples, while some of them may be flawed in some ways, personally. Sure. There is a response, an inherent perceived aggression, towards anyone who would boldly advocate for the dignity of black life. So here's what I mean by that. That shapes how we view people around us who are quote unquote subversive or protesters. I think that there is a perception, number one, that Black Lives Matter moves in concert. There are Black Lives Matter, loosely Black Lives Matter-affiliated people here in Pensacola. I know them. Um, I've been to rallies. Mm -hmm. Not protests, but I've been to rallies. And I have seen nothing that would lead me to believe, number one, that they want any violence just off of the people I've personally met and nothing would lead me to perceive that they are not advocating for equality within the system and accountability within the system not the removal of the system itself now here's the problem you have people who come on television and they Did are I'm gonna
0: imagine they you're are gonna pointed talk about out lady from yesterday they are
2: pointed out and they come on and say we do away with all police officers <laughs> right, we I just disarm, disarm all them. police I think it's very dangerous to view Black Lives Matter in one unison, uniform way. And here's why, because Black Lives Matter is all about decentralization for local impact. So in DC, there may be a heavy sense of educational push. We want educational equality. Yeah. In Baltimore, there may be a heavy push for police and criminal justice accountability. In Pensacola, coming up in a few weeks, the people who are affiliated with Black Lives Matter are doing a forum for the advocacy, not against law enforcement, not of education, but because two young black men, and their names escape me right now, but because two young black men have been killed and no one has come forward with answers. And so they're saying we must be accountable as a community to be our brother's keeper, when it comes to the violence that exists within our community. Now, that blows up narratives because mm. it's different from New York and it's different from Baltimore, it's different from Miami, it's different from D.C. and L.A. But there is, there are extremists. Yes. But I believe, and I think Alicia, Alicia Garza talks a lot about this, just from me hearing her. I believe that the vast majority of people are... Bold, direct, and aggressive, and it per- it's perceived in different ways. So let me, let me explain it from a historical context. Okay. So during the Civil Rights Movement, there were two opposing ideas. There was, both were nonviolent, but there were two different nonviolent approaches. So we had redemptive nonviolence, advocated primarily by Dr. King. Yep. Redemptive nonviolence says, and have you seen the movie Selma? No great movie to watch um just for some of the context of what newer movie Mm -hmm. okay yeah it came out two years ago okay and um and selma talks about the selma march and the things around it and the various complexities very good movie so dr king advocates redemptive nonviolence. he says let us sit in into these places where they do not allow us where they do not give us equal dignity And then when they sick the dogs on us and when they bring out the water hoses and when they beat us, America will see this on television. And they will see the fact that we do not fight back. And it will explode the narrative that we are violent and subversive and we are intending to to cause chaos. And we will win their hearts. It's the idea of the cross. I will be crucified publicly so that you will see how much love I have, right? The atonement idea. I will atone for the sins by taking on unjust punishment so that you can know how much love I have. And that's redemptive nonviolence. Yes. At the end of Dr. King's life in 1968, redemptive nonviolence was going out. And he was actually, Dr. King in the last year, he was ostracized not just by white America and not just by the government establishment, but he was ostracized by his own people. His own organization that he founded, the Southern Christian Leadership Coalition, censured him. They were against him because the idea of nonviolence from a redemptive standpoint was not making the progress that they thought. So it didn't mean that they advocated violence, but they advocated the second idea, which was tactical nonviolence. So tactical nonviolence does not care about the redemption of the heart. Tactical nonviolence cares about the changing of circumstances. So tactical nonviolence has with it not a violence, but an aggressive posture that will bait people intentionally into engagement to show that the system must change and it must change now. Now, the difference is we view nonviolence all through the same lens. If you're nonviolent, you must be peaceful. Tactical nonviolence says no. If we're nonviolent, we want situations to change. And so these two opposing ideas meet in a head at something like the Black Lives Matter movement. There's um, a group of people in St. Louis, uh, Mike and Michelle Higgins, and uh, Pastor Mike Higgins, is a, he's a pastor, and he's worked very closely with the people in Ferguson. And he has tried to advocate for the redemptive nonviolence, not the tactical nonviolence because it is often perceived as aggressive and violent and extreme, even in its posture. Now, and again, that comes with the differences, but I think it's important for us to remember that nonviolence, even in the civil rights movement, was not necessarily created equal. Now, as far as what that leads into a Black Lives Matter, here's what I'll say. Um, I believe that Black Lives Matter, in its goal and its aim, and its original goal has been successful at pushing the conversation. Absolutely. It had been very successful in pushing the conversation.
0: And if you want to know, like, they have mission statements and all that, and sure. which I went over thoroughly. I believe DeRay's website was
2: campaignzero.org. Sure. Yeah, campaignzero.org dot .net. I want to say this. I agree it's, oh, it's all good. Yeah, that's a Blue Angels if you heard that. I agree with the desire and push for equality and accountability. I agree with that. I disagree with certain tactics that are employed by the movement. Yes. Which is why I'm not heavily affiliated with the movement. Now, there is mutual respect with the movement because I see what most are trying to do. But I disagree with some of the tactics. Now... I think some of the things that are difficult to judge are the marches and who started what chant and who started and why someone chanted this and what the goal was. I don't know the specifics of those. but What I will say is it is always best, no matter where you are, to talk to people rather than about them. If there is a forum and if there is a way for you to get connected to have a conversation with your local chapter of protesters whether they're Black Lives Matter or something completely different. Please do that. Please enter into the difficulty of having that conversation. And I want to let you know, they may be aggressive towards you or they may dismiss your opinion or they may say, but I, I've, I feel that there has been a shift locally of the approach of the people who are protesters from a more aggressive stance to a more redemptive idea. Not saying that they're becoming Christian. <laughs> I get it. But I believe that there has been, they have shifted their tactics in the past year, year and a half in a very noticeable way. And again, not perfect, but there is mutual respect in the idea. And what I always tell people is, and this is the final thing I'll say, because I know I'm going on on and on. That's all right. The final thing I'll say is Black Lives Matter can be an indictment of the church. I always ask people this okay, you don't support Black Lives Matter, totally fine, I understand. I'm not trying to make you an activist. I'm not a car. I'm not wearing the shirts. I'm not going around with the fist. I'm just saying, look, if you don't support that, help me understand what Christian organization advocates for black life in the holistic way that you're mentioning. Because people will always say, well, they don't talk about all black lives and you know the unborn and everything. Well, I say, okay, well, which Christian organization actually does advocate for that, and how are you assisting, and I'm gonna, I, I don't want to be direct and confrontational, but no, how no, no. are you assisting in reaching the lives that you say Black Lives Matter doesn't care about? And we have to take an inventory and look in the mirror and say, am I opposing this because it is uncomfortable? Am I opposing this because I care, right?
0: I think, man, perfect. What you just said is very profound. Because what you'll have, and I have it in front of me, not because nah, necessarily, go ahead, go ahead. N- I'm not here to say, why aren't they doing this? But you have the other side of the token, mm-hmm. the people that, and I, let me make this clear. I am not anti-Black Lives Matter. No,
2: I know what you There's,
0: mean. There is, when, you can when criticize, something happens, you can
2: criticize the tactics. That's when Omar following.
0: Mateen shot up Pulse sure. Nightclub, sure. and he was a uh, quote-unquote devout Muslim, you had the spokesmen, the loudest voices typically, come out from the Muslim community and condemn these right. actions. So when I see something happen that flies under the flag of Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. I look toward who are the loudest voices. You mentioned them, DeRay McKesson, yeah. uh, Janetta Elzey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I follow them all on social media. And I'm not yeah, that's seeing interesting. Uh, every that's one interesting. of them. I have yeah. all of them on my Twitter, everything. That's interesting. I want, to, I want to know what's going on. Sure. I don't have to agree with you to be, quote, unquote, friends on Facebook. Yeah, but yeah. I want to have a diverse outlook on what is happening. That's
2: encouraging. And so
0: when I look at DeRay's response mm-hmm. to what happened in Dallas, it wasn't a condemnation of what occurred. Uh, I'll try to sum up his sure. tweet, and people can look it up themselves because I don't want to make it. I don't want to exaggerate. But essentially it said, we shouldn't have had to be out there protesting in the first place.
2: Well, and to the, yeah. it, I'm like, are me, you kidding? me? Yeah, let me and let me explain where I think people are coming from. I think people are coming from the idea that and I've heard some people say this. If we have to say that we don't support violence. Then the conversation is almost moot to begin with. I've had people say that because they feel that the conversation is had in bad faith. So they feel that the conversation is had because people believe that they're anti-cop and they wanna see killing and they wanna, and so people perceive their aggression in ways that they think is unfair. So I've heard people say that. Whether or not that's the best way to handle it, um, I'm not gonna say. Uh, I'm not a part of the movement. So I'm very careful about prescribing certain things to the movement or speaking about things I don't know. But I will say that personally, from all that I've understood and heard from people in person that I've talked to and from events that I've seen, there is not, an, there is not a violent tinge to the vast majority of Black Lives Matter movement protesters or activists. But perception is everything. That's right. And, and it's going to get amplified. If, the, if
0: whatever mainstream outlet Whatever their agenda is, they will amplify whatever portion pushes their agenda.
2: I think it's also helpful to think through this from the idea that it it is an organization in its infancy. And when we talk about the fact that it is, what, three years in and really hasn't organized up until the last year about, I think there's a lot still to be worked through and worked out in the organization. And I think there is going to be stronger accountability and stronger structure that will come later. And the nature of protest movements are that they intend to be decentralized, modern protest movements, in different ways than the civil rights movement. So the civil rights movement would be you know, black clergy typically. So yeah. it'll be black clergy, and it'll be very organized and filtered through the church. But even there, there were differences between um, uh, Martin Luther King and Stokely Carmichael. You know, Martin Luther King was advertising the love and all God's children. Stokely Carmichael was at, um, advocating for black power. So there's always going to be that. And they marched together. And I remember watching this one interview where Stokely Carmichael said, I don't agree with, with Dr. King. He was standing right next to him, I don't agree with him. But I'm marching with him, I don't agree. with him. And so when you see this, the range of opinions, I think there's still a lot to be worked through and worked out. But I hope that as they get older, there will be not a reduction of their passion, but a wisdom in their tactics. Long conversation, long answer to a short question. No, I know, no, I know. that's <laughs> good, that's good.
0: I, I wanted, I, I, I quoted a, a tweet of yours a little bit ago, and I, I was, obviously we're friends on Facebook as well, yeah, and yeah. you would put, I, I want you to expound on something that you put out. Please, go and, ahead. And at first, I, I, at least initially, I was looking at the comments, reading the comments underneath of it, and it looked like people may have misconstrued what you were saying. That so,
2: happens a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I'm going to read it verbatim just so everybody can get some context. Okay. It says, I see many of our churches are having prayer services following this week's events. That's Mm -hmm. great. All for it. I've prayed many times myself and with others this week, but if we're having prayer vigils and we support law enforcement profiling black, brown bodies, those prayers are hitting the ceiling, doc. Pray for peace, then get up and affirm the dignity of our bodies, please. And so I initially, I read that and it wasn't that I had an instant. It didn't conjure up anything in me like man what's, what's this dude saying but I was seeing the response underneath <laughs> and I'm like oh he's
2: I mean it was pretty tame I mean there were people who understood people who didn't here's here's what I'm mainly saying I think there is a perception of in these particular cases that we pray and we pray and we feel bad and we come together and we have vigils and we express our emotions and we cry and we give people hugs and I think all that is great and I think that's necessary lament is a biblical idea. But I think at the same time, I wanna see people fully reckon with, not just personal and individual sin, but also fully reckon with how sin affects systems. And all the prayer in the world, and this is one of my difficulties, is people come and they say, I'll be very honest with you, I'll be very honest with you. Please. I have sat across the table from pastors locally and ministry leaders locally Um, who I I respect, but who have told me that they support law enforcement profiling black bodies. Um, They have told that to me and a group of other men who look like me. And it is very difficult for me to think that some of these people will be leading prayer services or talking about vigils or when the very nature of what you should be praying for is that you would change your heart towards the partiality that you allow or support, whether or not law enforcement does this, if you you support this, it is anti-biblical. And so we can sit here and say, I will pray and I will feel sorry and let's have racial reconciliation and unity, but we must pray with our feet and with our hands. And part of that prayer should be that I will open up spaces for people to come in and share their experience and narrative and talk with me about the dignity of their body and how can I change the way that I speak and train my congregation to treat the dignity of other people. You know, if you're praying, and I've, again, I've had this happen locally. Um, you know, we're praying, we're meeting with people, and people are telling me there is I don't support, you know, there are some people in my church who don't support interracial marriage, but, you know, that's because of this, this, that, and the other. And I sit back and I say, that's wrong. Yeah. Pray that they will repent, like challenge them to repent. And I don't want to see people on their knees who will not advocate for my life outside of the church. People want to hug me inside the church, praise God, amen. But when we step outside of the church, will you stand with me? And that's not, you You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to, we don't have to stand anti-law enforcement. That wasn't the point of the the, the particular no, Facebook post. But it was, what are you willing to do with your body that will protect and make me feel less terrified when I pull up, when I get pulled over by a police officer? What will you do with your pulpit And with your platform to ensure that when I walk into a Walgreens, people aren't clutching their purses when they see me. Where is the church going to speak biblically towards that? It's not just these biblical good feelings and vibes that say we all just need to be one. We need to be one in the church, in prayer, in biblical teaching and understanding. But we also need to be one in society and culture. Get up and go. Hands and feet, right? What does Isaiah 117 say? It says specifically defend those who are oppressed, advocate for their justice, care for the widows, care for the fatherless. Matthew
0: 25, same thing.
2: Matthew 25, same exact thing. Micah 6, 8. Leviticus 19, 15. Jeremiah 22. All these things are advocating for the dignity, and so many more passages are advocating against partial treatment. James chapter 2, Galatians 2, all these things... Advocating for these these ideas. So what I want is I do want people to pray, and I do want people to hold vigils, and I want people to hold forums where they're addressing these issues, and where they give Black voices and Brown voices the, I, the 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 platform, and the the dignity of their opinions to come and say this is our experience. Now, what will you do as a church to ensure that we're not just praying together, but we're walking together outside of these four walls? So sorry to get intense, but no, that's good. I think that's
0: good because I, I, I to land this plane. Obviously, I'm not sitting here just to sit here and talk to you. I'm not sitting here for entertainment value, although you're very entertaining. (laughs) There has got to be what there's got to be solutions. Sure. And so in your mind, where you're coming from and your viewpoint,
2: what what is a solution? There has to be a solution. So so I've been repeating the same five steps over and over again. So if you hear me say this multiple places, I'm sorry. It's just kind of how I've I've. That's good. That means it's structured. (laughs) (laughs) I've tried to put it together in a structured way. So number one, if you're a believer, especially listening, who I'm not going to assume that you're a believer, but what I'll say is if you are a believer, I want you to pray. Please pray. Um, And investigate, pray intentionally. A lot of times we pray prayers that assume our good intentions. Pray convicting investigative prayers. That say, God, if there is bias in me, if there is prejudice in me, if there is partiality in me, reveal it. Yeah, That's a regular part of my prayer life. Because there are different cultures that I do not understand. Excuse me. And there are different groups of people that I do not understand. From a uniform perspective or from a law enforcement perspective that I have to pray that I don't have biases that I transfer to other people. Or that I transfer to them. Lord. If there is any wicked way in me, uproot it. Reveal it to me so that I may repent. So the first thing I'll say is pray investigative prayers. The second thing, which is very important as far as learning empathy, is to learn history. Learn history, learn history. A couple of things I want to reference here, a couple of resources. There is a documentary, and it is on YouTube. It's called African Americans: Many Rivers to Cross. And it's a five-part documentary. It used to be on Netflix. I checked it last night. It's no longer on Netflix, but it is on YouTube. It's a five or six-part series, African-Americans, Many Rivers to Cross, by Henry Louis Gates, who is a a scholar from Harvard, I believe. And it actually tracks the narrative history of major events of African-Americans in the United States. It is beautiful. It is, there are parts of it that are heart-wrenching. There are parts of it that are inspiring. It is a great crash course tool for understanding the scope of everything from pre-slavery to slavery, to the Civil Rights Movement, to after World War II, to Reconstruction, to the Great Migration, all the way till now. Um, Learn History, uh, Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson is a great book to pick up. Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson, a great book to pick up. Disunity in Christ by Christina Cleveland. All these books and resources, and I'll send you a comprehensive list, too. All these lists and and resources and documentaries. Learn the history because that will cultivate empathy and it will explain certain things. Um, Third, uh, so we pray, we learn history. Third, create face-to-face relationships. This is so huge and important. Sit down with someone who is of a different ethnic group and culture. This doesn't have to just be black people. Yeah. I mean this could be any cultural affiliated group. Sit down with them and hear their story. Ask them questions and listen. Share your stories and then find the intersection point. Huge. It'll crash all it'll it'll crash all your preconceived notions about who they are and what they've been through. And don't just have relationships with people that you help. Because that's another problem that we have is we see people in distress and we try to have relationships with them. Have relationships with people of other ethnicities who are not in distress, who are college educated, who own their own business, who can buy your meal, who can sit across from you on equal weight and say, I've accomplished and achieved some things and discuss with them. Okay, so those are three. Pray, learn history, create relationships. And the fourth thing, the fourth thing is please live and vote accordingly. Do not allow your elected officials and do not allow the people who occupy seats of government to not address the people who you've just created relationships with. Investigate what do you believe about this issue? How are you going to reach out to these people? These are my friends. If someone walks in and acknowledges me without acknowledging you, that's rude or vice versa. That's rude because you're not invisible. You're a human being. And so if you don't acknowledge them or if you don't acknowledge my brother, why are you coming to me? Acknowledge my brother. Acknowledge my sister. Acknowledge my friend and my family. And to do that, you have to create relationships to where you get to the place of we are one. We are human beings. And then especially if we're Christians, we are created in the image of God and a part of God's kingdom now. So don't allow elected officials or law enforcement directly ask questions. How are you going to treat these people? Do you have these sort of policies? What are your policies doing to affirm the dignity of the people around me? So those are four. And then the final one um, is very simple. It's disciple with a multi-ethnic mindset. When we disciple people, we naturally disciple out of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So we disciple what is who we are. We disciple people into our preference. We disciple people into the particular things that we like to do disciple multi-ethnically and what I mean by that is when you're discipling someone are you exposing them not just to the scriptures and theological doctrine and truth because all of us have called to, been called to disciple people Matthew 28 are you discipling people within a multi-ethnic context and sphere to say are you as a believer stepping outside of your comfort zone to reach people who do not look like you that's on all sides. Yeah. If you don't do that, and if you're not exploring the history and narrative of other people, we'll create these pockets of silos and segmented, uh, segregated sections in Do you in think that's churches. a problem in the church that's today? That's 100% a problem. And it's not the problem that we don't worship together. Yeah. It's a problem that we don't live life together, understanding each other's cultural difference and, and having cultural intelligence. If you want a book um, on that, it's Many Colors by Soong Chan Ra. It's a book. It's just cross-cultural intelligence. Um, Many Colors by, by Soon-Sean Rao. It's great at establishing that there are different narratives and there are different people groups. We have to disciple. The church has to create the space for that. If we don't create the space for that, no one's ever going to think about it within our churches. So those are five long answers to a short question again. No, it's good. Um, we pray. We learn history. We create face-to-face relationships. We hold our elected officials accountable. And then we disciple it multi-ethnically. Expose your kids, expose um, your family members to other cultures and other groups of people as much as you possibly can. Just say, hey, man, let's go hang out. Let's go watch a game together. It doesn't have to be, man, let me get your deep thoughts about President Obama and this decision. <laughs> Live life with them. Yeah. And then you will see what they believe, and then you will know how to love them and affirm their dignity accordingly. So
0: That's real good. Um, I think we're gonna we're gonna stop there. But one one thing I want to do yeah. is I, I want you to pray over this community. Yeah. I want you to pray over uh, the reactions of all. In, but I want the point is that I just want to keep it localized. Not Absolutely. that it doesn't need to be no, worldwide. One hundred percent, Pensacola specifically. Yeah. We, you, and I have the ability to make changes here. We're both voices yes. in this community, and so I just I would like you to pray over the community, and over us, and that uh, in the end, God's glory is shown.
2: Yeah. Go ahead, please. Absolutely. So, Father, we come to you right now um, just acknowledging your lordship, acknowledging that you are king of kings and lord of lords, that you are the sovereign ruler of all things. And we acknowledge your supremacy over the things that have happened previously, over all that will happen, and over what is happening right now. And, God, we come to you as our mighty savior And we say, God, would you just prick our hearts? If there is any evil way in us, if there is any sin in us, would you expose that to us? Um, God, would you expose our biases? Would you expose our prejudice and partiality? And may we walk as pure servants before you. You said, who can ascend to your holy hill? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Well, Father, that is what we pray for. We pray for new hearts on the inside of us. Because, God, we can't address these things in... In solutions and and cultural ideas if our hearts are not right before you, if our hearts have not been transformed by the the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray now for our community. God, I pray that you would raise up men and women who have passion to see reconciliation take place, cross-cultural intelligence, understanding, God, um, to see this this restorative, redemptive picture that we're just getting a glimpse of now because we know it won't fully come until you come, God. But this, this picture of unity in Christ, this picture of unity in our city and in our community, I pray that you would give us courage and give us boldness. The one thing we need, we don't need more systems, we don't need more structures, we don't need more even understanding because you've given all that to us in, our, in, in your word, God. So as we read your scriptures, I pray that you would give us the courage to walk it out. Give us sanctified minds, um, renewed hearts, God. Give us speech that is, is seasoned with salt, always with grace, as Colossians tells us, that we would seek to talk to people and not about them. And Father, I pray for my brother Troy and his family, And I thank you for the amazing time that we've had today on this podcast. I pray that you would raise him up to be a voice in this community and then in the community that he will enter into soon. Father, I pray that there would be a multi-ethnic reconciliation mindset. I thank you for his honesty, his transparency. I pray that we would model this transparent conversation for others, that we would set the tone in our respective congregations, in our respective contexts, that we would cross the aisle and say, I will love this person who is an image bearer of God, who is my brother, who is my sister, and I will love them as Christ has loved me. And may that change our community. May that encourage those around us to say, what type of God would lead you to reconcile with people who don't look like you? May people come to know Jesus from this God. May your kingdom be established. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Lord. We believe that you will do it. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother. Thank you, man.
0: This was awesome.
2: This was crazy. (laughs) Thank you so
0: much for joining me here. This was excellent. You know, at the bare minimum, I hope this at least is the catalyst in your car right now, wherever you're at, in your workplace, in your home. You need to start having conversations. Do not allow the news or social media to mold inform your opinion on anything get out talk to people build relationships until next time thanks